This is an RNZ podcast. This is Media Watch. I'm Colin Peacock. This week, Auckland will soon become Auckland as the Lord of the Rings extravaganza comes round again to New Zealand, this time with Amazon Prime calling the shots for a new big-budget series. It'll get a tax break of hundreds of millions of dollars to make it here, a big payback for a company good at not paying tax and writing small paychecks to people in the background. But first, the fallout from Spark's headline-making streaming slip-up at the Rugby World Cup last weekend, which has had politicians arriving at the breakdown this past week. You were pretty steamed, actually, about the issues with the Spark Sport streaming, and well, you said that the government was going to step in. What could you do? Well, give them a wind-up for a start. I mean, we're a first-world country. We don't have failures like that. So was this all a storm in a tech teacup that's already in the past, or a moment in tech history which might define how we see our sport in future and how much we pay? Spark Sport 7. Let's be optimistic, and let's say this will go like a dream. Let's say there will not be a complaint, the pictures will be brilliant, the coverage faultless, and we all gather on Monday, happy campers. That was News Talk ZB's Mike Hosking on the day the Rugby World Cup kicked off last week, and we now know there were many not happy campers by last Monday because Spark's streaming didn't work for some subscribers of its sports app during the All Blacks' first game against South Africa. And as we heard last weekend on Media Watch, Spark had to break the emergency glass and flick the switch to screen it on TVNZ's Duke channel instead, a big boost for a much-overlooked channel. And it was the same again for all three Rugby World Cup games last Sunday, though Italy versus Namibia in the afternoon was probably not a ratings winner, even if it was free to air. But having rashly given Spark 7 out of 10 in advance, ZB's Mike Hosking wanted a fresh number from Spark's content chief Jeff Latch on Monday. Good morning, Mike. So 10, it was faultless. 1, it was a disaster. What's your number? Well, can I start off first off by just saying I'd like to unreservedly apologise to all the viewers of that All Blacks versus South Africa game that did not have a great experience. And clearly, Jeff Latch was wary of picking another number there, with good reason. Just hours before things went wrong during the Springbok match last weekend, Jeff Latch was also overconfident when he picked a number for News Talk ZB's Andrew Dickens. On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being completely confident, 1 being scared, witless. How are you feeling about your service during the Rugby World Cup? A 10. Oh dear. Well, the day after the Springbok streaming fail and the immediate media blow-up, the issue was leading the Politics Hour on News Talk ZB's weekend collective show. This is our Politics Hour. This is Politics Central. So, talking about Spark and the glitches, this is now actually a political issue. We have the acting Prime Minister, Winston Peters, joining us in just a moment. And whether or not large-scale sporting events should be entirely live and free-to-air when it comes to television. And this is something that Winston Peters has argued for in the past. We want to get his thoughts on that. And getting Winston Peters on the line to talk about Spark streaming was a sure way to turn a technological and business issue into a political one. His party, New Zealand First, has a long-standing policy of guaranteeing free-to-air coverage of sports events of national significance. For many years, there was a long laundry list of them in its manifesto, which even included a number of hand-picked horse races. When Winston Peters appeared on the weekend collective show on the phone, fittingly, he was using the one he was forced to see the All Blacks game on the day before. It's just not satisfactory. Actually, that, that cracks me up that the, the acting PM and the deputy PM is watching the All Blacks versus South Africa on World Cup phone. game on his phone because <laughs> <laughs> it's stuffed up on the big screen. That's ridiculous. Well, I had about three people trying to make me go on the street. Nothing would work. And so uh, this is for the second night, I might add. 
So would Winston Peters really be prepared to put his hand in the public purse to pay for Rugby World Cup coverage in future? What we don't do is have a reflex action when things get screwed up because they were told to get ready and we hoped that they would be ready and they promised us that they would be and they're not. So alternative measures have been taken in the meantime. And you've asked me for a comment as to what it looks like and I said it looks like a disaster for a lot of people. And while the media seized on the word disaster from Winston Peters, he gave no commitment to free-to-air Rugby World Cup coverage. All right, we're going to go to the phones in a moment on 0800 80 10 80. Should the government step in and make TVNZ broadcast the World Cup live and free-to-air from here on in? It turned out that ZB's callers weren't actually keen on the government arranging sports coverage either, or getting involved at all. But they were already getting heard in the media. The Minister of Broadcasting, Communications and Digital Media, Chris Farfoy, who's also the Minister of Commerce and Consumer Affairs, had already contacted Radio Sport to tell them he was on Spark's case. And then came a statement, as News Habit 6 reported like this that night. And even the Broadcasting Minister, Chris Farfoy, weighed in. He said in a statement he was happy there was the contingency with TVNZ's Duke Channel, but it's obvious that with an event like this, Kiwis expect better delivery than last night. 24 hours later, Winston Peters, as the acting Prime Minister, revealed in the post-Cabinet press conference that he and Chris Farfoy had also met with Spark and even, according to Stuff's account of that, confronted them. But to what effect? On TVNZ's breakfast show the next day, the host Hayley Holt asked Winston Peters this. You were pretty steamed, actually, about the issues with the Spark Sport streaming, and well, you said that the government was going to step in. What could you do? Well, give them a wind-up for a start. I mean, we're a first-world country. We don't have failures like that. And we had four years to get ready. So, you know, to say, well, we had these glitches, well, we, we de-glitched before the major event. That's what planning looks like. So, you know, we just saying to them, wind your act up and real fast, because New Zealanders deserve better. And Hayley Holt then pressed Winston Peters on that free-to-air coverage issue like this. What if the, uh, the government decides to stream it free for all on TVNZ? Well, we are in some cases because the end part of this World Cup will be on free-to-air. Uh, free it will, which is very exciting. All right, we've got to well, talk... Guess, guess which party promised that? <laughs> you tell me. Well, have you forgotten? <laughs> Winston Peters there taking the opportunity to remind sports-mad viewers of New Zealand First's free-to-air TV policy. And News Hub at 6 on Monday night began like this. Kia ora, good evening. The acting Prime Minister says Spark Sports Rugby World Cup coverage is a leap back to the black and white days. Spark says it's now fixed the problem that left many New Zealanders unable to watch the first All Blacks game on Saturday night and today promised perfect coverage for the rest of the tournament. But while the acting Prime Minister was widely reported to have stepped in on the Spark streaming issue, he really sidestepped it because, in the end, it was nothing much to do with the government. One hour later, though, the project kicked off like this on three. And over at the project, you guys are calling for the return of free-to-air World Cup coverage. <laughs> yeah, like the rest of New Zealand, we've been talking about this all day in the office. And I'm not going to say who's really into this free idea. I will just say that it starts with Jay and ends with Emmy Barnes. He re- <laughs> that, that mystery person really wants it to be free. <laughs> free to game. Free to game. <laughs> because the All Blacks did give it their all over the weekend, but the technology let us down.
Well, no one had actually been seriously discussing the All Blacks on free-to-air TV, except the old-school Aussie rocker and working-class man Jimmy Barnes, when the old-school sportscaster Brendan Telfer dismissed the idea out of hand on the project that night. Call me a socialist bastard, but, but I reckon that kids should be able to watch you know, all their heroes for free, and I reckon that the government has to step in and put it back on free-to-air so that you know, any kids can watch it for nothing. No, sorry, Jimmy, I'd have to disagree with you completely. Well, I'm sorry, the, I'm the old the show. model of free to air. <laughs> <laughs> the, old, the old free to air model has is, is outlived its uh, use by date. Now, in Jimmy Barnes' Australia, sports events of national significance are on free-to-air television by law. In the UK, they have the so-called Crown Jewels rules as well for coverage of several top tournaments. And earlier that day, Mike Hosking on News Talk ZB reckoned this could be on the cards here. This is Winston's moment. New Zealand First have backed anti-siphoning legislation for years. They haven't been able to get support. This might well change things. This is a government looking to potentially mess with TVNZ, Radio New Zealand and Maori Television in some sort of public broadcaster type fashion. Free-to-air sport would suit their plan down to the ground. But Winston Peters has been part of two coalition governments and so far that free-to-air sport policy seems not to be a hill he's prepared to die on politically. There's been absolutely no sign of it so far, beyond a bit of grandstanding from Winston Peters himself and Chris Farfoy. The last government to actually cough up public money to get the All Blacks on air for free was John Key's national-led one in 2011, when it ensured that no fewer than four TV broadcasters ended up showing the Rugby World Cup games. But in the meantime, what was the media verdict on Spark Sport? Well, a rather puffed-up Mike Hosking reprised his told-you-so style reckons like this for an ANZ Bank sports scene video. I mean, you got uh, Spark Sports uh, head Jeff Latch on your show. Did you did you get did you get to uh, voice that? Poor old Jeff. I did. I said, Jeff, it's shit. And that's exactly what I said. And he paused and he went, right. Meanwhile, colleague Martin Devlin from sister station Radio Sport added to the pylon like this. Out of 10, I'd give the All Blacks a 7. Out of 10, I'd give Spark a 4. Now, for months, I've been saying, panic not, people. Don't worry about your broadband, your fibre, your high speed, low speed, no speed. This will be on satellite TV. And it's not that I'm being a smarmy pants, I told you so. And on Tuesday, the Otago Daily Times weighed in with an editorial which made this claim. New Zealand rugby fans now feel like guinea pigs for future generations that will be entirely unfussed by streaming-only services. And some of those guinea pigs feel like they have been plonked in a frightening cage. But while the gripes of editorial writers and cranky blokes on the radio multiplied, people who actually knew and understood the technical problem were harder to find in the media. This week's listener has tech writer Peter Griffin with a handy explainer, and the Telecommunications Users Association of New Zealand spokesman Craig Young did get a few minutes on Radio Sport to make this point. Craig, appreciate your time and insight this morning. Are you as confident as Jeff Latch that they won't have any issues from this point on? Oh, kia guys. Um... I am quietly confident that they will. I think they had a perfect storm on Saturday night. It's probably going to be one of the biggest games that they'll have to stream. Um, and obviously, they realised someone realised in the chain of things that it wasn't working. So I'm I'm sort of giving them a yellow card at the moment, but certainly not a red card. And back on News Talk ZB, Sparks embattled Jeff Latch tried to tell Mike Hosking that most Sparks sports subscribers did see the big game okay, even when things were going wrong last weekend. I think it's interesting. We had 132,000 people that were watching it when we started to encounter some of the issues with the video quality. And you know, the second half, therefore, we switched and we put it up on Duke. At the end of the match, we still had 126,000 people watching. 
And Heather Duplessy-Allen was a lone voice on News Talk ZB on Monday in taking this line. I am reluctant to criticise Spark too much, not because I'm disputing that they stuffed up at the weekend, they stuffed up really badly, but for two reasons. First, I want Spark Sport to stick around. And second, they were big enough to admit that this could go wrong and to have contingency plans. Good points there from Heather Duplessy-Allen, but could it be a coincidence that Spark Sport also sponsors her show? Delivering the very latest news, views and opinions as you wrap up your day. It's Heather Duplessy-Allen Drive with Spark Sport, official broadcaster of Rugby World Cup 2019. This past week, some have called this New Zealand's worst ever tech fail, but it's not even that company's worst one. The failure to launch of Telecom's XT network 10 years ago was much worse. Telecom say that their new XT mobile network is world class. So to put them to the test, I found a Kiwi with some very special skills. I wanted to see how far she had to travel before a call dropped out. So how are you doing there, sir? No problems here. It's all good here. So in the end then, was Spark Sports streaming fail last weekend really the utter disaster that the nation's talk radio frontmen and their cranky callers and social media followers said it was? In an opinion piece for Stuff This Week, broadcaster, ad man and social media expert Vaughan Davis made this point about the Spark streaming snafu. Almost everyone who paid Spark to see the game got to see it. And lots of people who didn't pay got to see it too. And since then, everything seems to have streamed pretty smoothly. So I asked Vaughan Davis this week, will the perception and the hysteria hinder innovation and broadcasting now for no good reason? Yeah, it, it felt a bit like Shrek, you know, get your pitchforks. Um, you know, the moment there was a, a stutter in the in the Spark stream, I think the uh, reaction has been uh, way over the top. I think Spark did an okay job. And uh, as far as I can tell, they've, uh, you know, fixed whatever problems they had. But would this have been such a big deal in the media and then more broadly without the fact that the social media grievances of the people who, for whom it didn't work, the annoyed customers, you know, were out there almost immediately and then the digital always on news media could scrape them up and amplify them? Yeah, it's a really good example of the squeaky social media wheel uh, getting a heck of a lot of mainstream media oil. You know, if, I, if I'm sitting there watching the rugby and it's all absolutely fine, I'm not going to tweet or Facebook post that, hey, stream is good, no buffering. That's just not going to happen. But if I'm cranky, I'll go, uh, I'll go straight to my phone. And there's been a bit of expectation as well. There's been a lot of weight of expectation on Spark. Will they get it right? Will they won't? So, uh, you know, the media radar has been pretty finely tuned towards the story. So it was, it was almost pre-written. Well, Jeff Latch and others at Spark were keen to try and impress upon people there were 130-something thousand streams, and that only went down by about 6,000 after the troubles, according to their numbers. I mean, does that mean that literally only about 6,000 people tuned out, or isn't it possible that there were more than that watching the stream, it wasn't working for them, but the stream was still up and running, even though they might have tuned into uh, TVNZ Duke to get the more reliable pictures? Yeah, there's lots of ways to slice and dice that number. Uh, And also, you know, 132,000 streams is not 132,000 people. Uh, There will be a lot more people clustered around those, uh, you know, each device, each TV set. So the numbers are bigger than that. Um, you know, it, it was it was eleven o'clock at night, and uh, you know the All Blacks were winning. You know, six thousand people might have gone to bed. <laughs> Indeed, but it's not for nothing, though, is it? That people were annoyed. I mean, Spark did say it would be fine. We've tested it. We're very confident. Um, it wasn't for a lot of people, um, and they knew that they didn't control all the links in this process. They'd also had failures streaming things like English Premier League football, uh, Formula One, hockey, even. 
it wasn't for nothing that they promised more than they delivered and people were entitled to be cheesed off. But, uh, you know, the nature of technology is such that sometimes things don't work, especially new things. You know, back in the sky days, back in the sky days, uh, you know, we'd have rain fade and your whole screen would turn into Lego bricks, you know, until the, until the clouds passed. Uh, you know, in, in, in you know, free-to-air broadcast times, things would go wrong. Heck, you know, buy, buy a ticket to the match and, and your car might break down on the way. You know, life isn't perfect and uh, there, there's no need, there's no reason that uh, an All Blacks broadcast should necessarily be perfect either. But while you said in your piece that Spark had actually handled this very well, they had the backup plan, they communicated directly with people once there were problems and, and responded swiftly, I mean, if you go back, say Richard McManus, uh, the tech writer and expert, um, when the rights were acquired by Spark, he straight away identified the problems which actually came to pass. He was saying, um, if you're streaming on Netflix, it's being served locally from your ISP, so that's highly reliable. You can't do that with sport, where the stream has to go in and out of the host country. And he said, look, this, the streaming app uh, and how good it is and whether it works on all the most common internet devices will be the key thing, including, most importantly, smart TVs. Uh, and he said this, this could be where the problem rises. He was right. So way back then, um, you know, more than a year ago, he identified the problem. So the fact that Spark couldn't get on top of those means, even if they handled it well on the day in terms of um, the damage control, it wasn't ideal. Yeah, well, I mean, I, ideal is the key word. Um, you know, I take the approach with technology and media that, uh, you know, ideal is an impossibility. So you do your best and you provide a good service to as many people as you can for, you know, as often as you can, and uh, it will only get better. I mean, if, if you know, if we, if we were holding people to a standard of, uh, you know, make it perfect or don't do it at all, we wouldn't do it at all. Will this have, do you think, a lasting impact on digital innovation and streaming or, you know, big telcos and specifically Spark and their willingness to try new things, offer new services which could end up, you know, reducing the cost to consumer or even bringing us things we, we couldn't have enjoyed under pr- previous broadcasters in the market. I really hope it doesn't uh, because, you know, when you look at all the telcos, uh, they have to do things like this. Uh, the you know the natural price of connectivity, whether it's through fiber or you know copper or or through the air, is going down and down and down. We you know we're prepared to pay less and less and less for that. Yet we still want these networks. So how do the companies fund them? They fund them through things like this, through content, through you know through Lightbox, through Neon, through you know through Spark Sport. This needs to work not just for the telcos, but for all of us who want a good telecommunications network in this country. So, you know, it's it's not just, you know, will it uh, will it work or will it not for Spark? It's will it work or will it not for all of us? And, you know, my, my reaction uh, or the reactions I saw, you know, in the aftermath of uh, the, you know, the glitches on Saturday night, there's a lot of people who seem to be, you know, quite happy to, to take, down, uh, take down Spark or any other telco and, you know, at the first sign of a problem. It's cutting off your nose. And you said that once Spark was in damage control, they had... Uh good communication with people, letting them know they could go to Duke and exactly what was happening while that South Africa match was was on air. Uh, But that actually wound some people up. For example, uh, sports writer Hamish Bidwell did an opinion piece for RNZ saying, um, look, the reality is all these PR people, they earn a small fortune, they're in crisis mode, uh, they're just trying to put out a fire of their own making. Products are only as good as the consumer's confidence in them. And I, I know that Spark has been now putting out press releases saying that every match, when it goes off trouble-free, they'll alert the media to the fact that Russia Samoa streamed well. They put out a press release which seems a bit defensive. Uh, Is there a danger in overplaying this damage control hand? Um, 
if if it looks like you're you're trying to sell people on a, a perfect notion of the service, which evidently it isn't. Yeah, I, I, I suppose there is that risk, and uh, yeah, I've, I've been receiving those emails too, uh, and, and it almost feels like you know there's there been a bit of benign trolling going on. You know, hey, hey, media another perfect stream hey media another perfect stream and of course we're not telling those stories you know we're not saying you know 15 matches streamed perfectly since last saturday night um, yeah and, and and fair enough because you know most new zealanders don't really care if you know ukraine versus uruguay went well or, or didn't go well uh they care whether or not the next all blacks uh, match will go well and uh you know by the time this has gone to air it, uh, it will have Indeed, and Hamish Bidwell also made the point, uh, it's not quite the 81 Springbok tour, but there does appear to be a real ideological divide between those who support the idea of streaming and are therefore open-minded and optimistic and, as he put it, backward complacent old gits who prefer the status quo. Uh, do you think he's right about that? Is, is the real problem here a generational one perhaps where you know, a certain class of fan of a certain age just wants it on the telly like they always have and... Uh, any sign of trouble uh, will be enough to convince them that this new way of doing things just won't work. Yeah, there's a bit of that. Well, I mean, you can be both. I'm an old git and uh, and optimistic at the same time. I think there's a historical expectation that you know rug- rugby is one of the things that the is a god-given right as a New Zealander, a bit like uh, you know cheap hydroelectricity or uh, you know awful beer. But uh, you know times change. Uh, I, I don't believe there's a god-given right to uh, you know to, to Watch the All Blacks for free on a Saturday night. I mean, I like I like uh, Taika Waititi movies. I think they're a really important part of New Zealand culture. But I don't expect you know the government to leap in and pay for my ticket. Uh, nor do I expect uh, anything other than the you know the, the free market to provide my uh, my rugby viewing if I if I choose to do that. And finally, Vaughan, will this prove to be something of a, a moment in tech history for New Zealand, or if the rest of the tournament uh, goes off trouble-free and Sparks able to put out those press releases saying so after every single game, uh, we'll get to the end of it and think, well, that was just a blip and uh, no one will really remember it the next time another World Cup rolls around or another or another and it is um, live-streamed on the internet. I think if we get to the end of this and the remainder of the big matches have uh, have, have streamed smoothly, and more, more importantly, if the All Blacks uh, if the All Blacks deliver, you know, eighteen months time, no one's going to be talking about this. And in fact, in your piece, you mentioned that uh, you you listened to it on the radio, where obviously pictures were no problem. Indeed, Jeremy Corbett on Three's The Project Show tried to make that joke as well, saying, you know, look, the the live stream I had was absolutely fine, um, and I took it with me every, everywhere I went. Uh, you know, we had the radio as the only option back in the day, and you know, we were happier then. Yeah, that's that's the irony of it. Yeah, so I tuned into the uh, to the radio broadcast, and radio commentary is a great way to bring it to life. I really enjoyed it. So, uh, you know, I'll I'll tune to the stream if I'm uh, if I'm by a screen. Otherwise, very happy to listen to the radio. That was Vaughan Davis, broadcaster, digital media and marketing expert and owner of the ad agency The Goat Farm, talking to me there about the fallout from the media response this past week to Sparks' live-streaming failure at the Rugby World Cup last weekend. There are things that we are well-known for in New Zealand. Green rolling hills, perfect, you might say, for... Hobbits to hide in. That was Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern at the United Nations in New York on Wednesday. And at that point, the folks from Tourism New Zealand would have been high-fiving each other. Just last week, Amazon Prime announced a megabucks production of The Lord of the Rings will be filmed in Auckland, guaranteeing more worldwide exposure of our landscape and possibly even kick-starting the tourism boom that followed The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit movies in recent years. But then Jacinda Ardern went on to say this. 
And now we're known for something else. The 15th of March 2019. And that's not such a positive vibe for tourism. And according to media reports of the Amazon Prime announcement, safety worries were a sticking point for the US-based producers, but they were satisfied with the assurances they've received. Now, when the Hobbit movies were made here a decade ago, there was a major controversy about labour laws. Indeed, the laws were changed to give the movie makers more flexibility and the workers fewer rights. And the current government has now changed the law back again. And one actor who pushed for that told Morning Report this week things should be better from them for the upcoming Amazon Prime production. This year, the government revoked the law, which prevented film workers negotiating collectively. Robin Malcolm says that will protect those working on the upcoming series. She told Katie Scotcher she's thrilled Amazon has chosen New Zealand and she hopes they'll take a fresh approach. I think the production is really exciting for New Zealand, obviously. It's massive, it's huge. And I hope that a lot of New Zealand crews and New Zealand actors are able to be involved. You know, I've got a few people, um, a few friends of mine who are already working on the production and pre-production, and from what I can gather, they're being treated really well and they're really enjoying it, and they're looking forward to a long role of employment, which is really wonderful. Sounds good. And there was lots of enthusiasm on the project on three that same night. Are you guys auditioning for the Hobbit jobs? <laughs> yeah. Yes, and I've got a spare pair of pointer ears if you need them, Melissa. I'll, I'll hook you up, don't worry about that. We Thank are, you. everyone else in New Zealanders, we're all getting excited about the biggest TV show coming to Upper Middle Earth. Upper Middle Earth being Auckland or... Auckland, as the New Zealand Herald punningly put it this week, because, as the project went on to explain, the movies were mainly a Wellington thing, with lots of Wellingtonians in them. Way back at the beginning of the millennium, in a town called Wellington, Sir Peter Jackson started filming the first of a gazillion instalments of the tale of Bilbo Baggins. Pretty soon, over 100% of all Wellingtonians had been an elf, an orc, or a talking tree. I am no tree. While the jobs bonanza for cast, crew, carpenters and caterers was high up in the reports of the Amazon Prime News, so was this angle reported by News Hub last week. If Amazon applies for a screen production grant, it could get 20 to 25% of its New Zealand spending back. That could be a subsidy of between $300 and $375 million, all for the world's richest person. Uh, yeah, look, I think all of us uh, at some level begrudge the subsidies that the film industry has. Interesting words there from Trade Minister David Parker, who, as the Herald reported recently, accompanied Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern in a meeting with Sir Peter Jackson just three weeks before the decision was taken not to place any upper limit on the rebates paid out under the screen production grant system. News Hub was just guessing that the payback would be north of $300 million, and of course it won't end up directly in the pocket of Amazon's owner Jeff Bezos. But it was a good deal for Amazon Prime for sure, and also to New Zealand, according to News Hub, which said that a report for the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment last year had found that economic benefits of the grant significantly outweigh the costs. And that's true, but the Ministry also reckoned there should be upper limits on the rebate, and so did Treasury, which recommended that surging taxpayer support for the sector be curbed. Number crunching by the Herald's investigations reporter Matt Nippet earlier this year revealed that at least $600 million had been paid out to Hollywood producers since 2010 already under the screen production grant system, and after the Amazon Prime payout for Lord of the Rings, that will be hiked even higher.
The Herald's Matt Nippet also pointed out another report for the government that was released in June concluded that the film industry is now reliant on subsidies and it was unable to conclude if the screen production grant was actually delivering taxpayers value for money. And the question of the opportunity cost of this is hardly ever explored. But this week, the Herald's business editor, Liam Dan, asked if other corporate sectors should be considered for a lower corporate tax rate that the film producers currently enjoy. And he even suggested the banks could benefit using the same logic. How about the financial sector itself? Thousands of highly lucrative local jobs have disappeared in the past decade as the big global firms have pulled back to Australia. Offering tax breaks to massively profitable investment banks might seem politically unpalatable until you remember we're all happily giving one to the world's richest man. Now that's an interesting thought. And this week, New Zealand Institute Chief Economist Eric Crampton raised another issue on the panel on RNZ National when he cited the work of an old grad school buddy in the US who'd been looking at how the states over there offer breaks to filmmakers. So he's able to then look to see, well, what's the actual effect of uh, ramping up the film subsidies in Georgia, where he he lives and works, compared to some other states. And he finds that you actually see a reduction in uh, per capita income after the film incentives come in. It's not that you don't get the activity in the film industry, which you certainly do. They're they're poorer than they otherwise would have been because of the economic activity in other industries that then fails to happen because things have been distorted towards film. Interesting stuff. And in the US, they've certainly noticed that New Zealand's in the business of offering big tax breaks too. USA Today reported that the New Zealand Taxpayers Union had complained that every New Zealand household could end up paying more than $100 each to Amazon Prime. And the act leader David Seymour had objected to lining the pockets of the world's richest man, as he put it. And it turns out that Amazon Prime in the US doesn't line the pockets much of those who turn up to fill out the minor roles in its productions. Under the headline, Love Lord of the Rings? Audition for these Amazon gigs? The industry website Backstage.com said it was too soon yet for casting opportunities in the upcoming Auckland-based production. But in the meantime, Amazon Prime Productions in the US were looking for talent, and the one at the top of the list was in the state of Georgia. The new Amazon Studios series, The Underground Railroad, directed by Academy Award winner Barry Jenkins, is seeking black male talent aged 9 to 11 to play a houseboy. Shooting will take place in Savannah, Georgia. Talent will be paid $100 for eight hours. Apply here. Now, the Underground Railroad is a story about slaves who make a bid for freedom from their plantations in Georgia in the 18th century by following what was a network of people and trains offering escape from bondage. So it doesn't really seem like a good look to pay less than the minimum wage to African-American talent in the 21st century, especially when that state is offering big breaks to Mr Bezos's company. But it's not just Amazon Prime that gets the benefit. Backstage.com also offers this opportunity. The NBC primetime drama series Chicago Fire is seeking background actors. Real police, paramedics and firefighters aged 18 and older. Filming will take place on specific days between September the 23rd and 26th in Chicago, Illinois. Pay starts at $104 for eight hours of work. Apply here! So, in other words, a primetime TV show that fakes firefighting is not willing to pay an awful lot to real firefighters who can add the required authenticity. It turns out these rates are pretty typical in the US for non-union acting talent, even from the biggest networks, studios and producers. The minimum wage in each state applies, even those such as Georgia, where the incentives for the producers are generous. And hopefully the little people here, so enthusiastic about getting a piece of the action in Upper Middle Earth shortly, will get a better deal. 
Well, that's all from the Media Watch team for this week, but we'll be back again at about 10.30 next Wednesday night with Midweek Media Watch, talking to Karen Hay on The Lately Show, and then back again for Media Watch at the same time next Sunday here on RNZ National.